Mukhtar who takes it, he does go for goal and he's found it! It was deflected on the way through and shaved off the head of Fabio but Hani Mukhtar has levelled the scores in Music City with eight minutes to half-time. 16th of a stellar season. Welcome to our regular season recap edition of the Club and Country podcast. This is the podcast of record for Nashville SC coverage between two people who have covered the club longer than anyone in their respective disciplines. I'm Nashville SC radio analyst Wes Bowling, and Tim, I am still exhausted from tracking decision day scores as we were also trying to watch a match right in front of us. I am Tim Sullivan, the proprietor of clubcountryusa.com, the original and and longest running blog covering Nashville SC. And I fortunately am a weird spreadsheet idiot. So I had it all going. You could just type it in real quick and, and figure out what was happening as it, as it happened. Your life table was probably faster than Opta's. And we ultimately got every goal, I think, recognized as it was happening throughout uh, the match. And uh, of course, a couple in Nashville as well. The 1-1 draw between Nashville SC and New York Red Bulls. Thanks to Moon Taxi, by the way, for bringing us in with the jams as always. Thanks to ESP 94.9 for Tony Husband's highlight of Hani Mukhtar's equalizing goal for the boys in gold. Tim, pretty soon we're going to be talking about playoffs as the brackets mm-hmm. are set. But first, let's look back at that Red Bulls match, a 1-1 draw that gives Nashville the third seed in the East. Yeah, and there was a chance, you know, with those scoring updates that we were just talking about, the NSC could have pushed for a late goal and, and ended up getting that second seed because Philadelphia Union ended up drawing New York City FC in the Bronx. But ultimately, they got what they really thought was important, which is a first-round home game. And if they take care of business there, that's all they're going to really focus on for the next couple of weeks. Then they can worry about what happens in the second round after that. That was a wild one at Yankee Stadium as mm-hmm. Philadelphia went up a man fairly early in that contest. Yeah. Gideon Zalalem out here breaking ankles and not in the way that basketball players do it. No, in the uh, Unai Emery Arsenal era way <laughs> and not in the newfound uh, glorious Mikel Arteta era, at least for now check with me next month <laughs> um yeah yeah the former gunner uh, goes in and and philadelphia scored just a couple of minutes after that red card and it looked like they would cruise and nashville could just kind of play out the string finish third place and then nycfc equalized down a man and all of a sudden tim nashville was a goal away from getting into second place and forcing a rematch with that red bulls team maybe or maybe knocking red bulls out of the playoffs yeah, and it was a situation where they had their chances, too. That's what's even more notable is it looked like there were a couple times where they might have gotten that goal and might have gotten that second seed. But in the end, again, um, they would have preferred to get that. But I think the juice is worth the squeeze here of, of getting that first-round home game and, and maybe hoping for Philly to be upset in the first round of the playoffs. And then all of a sudden, you you still have that second home game. A lot of juice is squeezed in the home state of Nashville's first-round opponent. What a, a what a transition! This a is a plus pro, segue. Guys. That's yeah. I don't know if it's a pro. The weird good pun. Yeah. Uh, Orlando coming up to Nashville. These two teams have played three games, and there's been nothing between them. Three games, three draws. Uh, you know, Tim, as we were talking last week about teams that Nashville wanted to avoid in the first round, you said Atlanta, and, and that's mm-hmm. understandable. I said Orlando. Orlando might just be the toughest possible opponent in that first round. Yeah, Nashville and Orlando split the series last year, 1-1-1 one, one, and one between them in the regular season, Orlando winning the first game, Nashville getting that incredible win on Decision Day, a much more exciting finish of the Decision Day a year ago, I guess, but this time, like you mentioned, they couldn't find a winner in three tries, um, they split the points once again, but in a slightly different uh, proportion there, and it's something that uh, this one isn't going to end that way, because it cannot end with the teams uh, both advancing in the playoffs, last I checked, that is not how a bracket works, so we'll see which one of them finally gets that upper hand in this rivalry nashville's never shut out orlando ever in mm-hmm. their six meetings so we should we should see goals we should see a frenzy of excitement and a very salty orlando team with something to prove looking to avenge what they believe was a, a bad call what we agreed with the, the call that is uh last weekend uh we will get into that orlando match in future episodes we'll, we'll brush on it a bit today we'll look back at the red bulls uh, match look at the bracket uh Talk about kind of the larger, big-picture, season-ending gold nuggets, if you will. We'll do that in the early shout. Then we'll embrace consensus by asking the question that we've discussed throughout the season and even last week. But now we have 34 matches of evidence. Is Honey Mukhtar Major League Soccer's MVP? We've seen people with no skin of the game related to Nashville SC or New England give it to Honey Mukhtar and publicly say they are doing that. Will it be enough? Should it be enough? Should Honey? win the MVP award. Then we'll go outside in to a man who's been maybe the ultimate insider, if you will, uh, and is leaving the club. John Freeman, longtime TV and radio voice 
of Nashville SC, first TV and then radio in the MLS era. Um, he's leaving for uh, what could be easily classified as his dream job. Wanted to give a couple words of love to him and have a, a tribute of some of the more memorable moments in his MLS tenure. We'll go to the mailbag for some fantastic questions wrapping up the season and talking about that Red Bulls result. Then looking forward to the playoffs. And then our final whistle is World Cup qualifying time. My content recommendation is going to be related to that as we will preview some of the uh, best matches in European World Cup qualifying. Tim's probably going to recommend custard or bluey or some random. <laughs> yeah, we got to come band. up with it. We got to come up with something ridiculous again. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, we, we've really been devolving there <laughs> into chaos. But uh, <laughs> before we do that, let's let's try to keep it on the straight and narrow just a little bit and get into our early shout. Casares down the right hand side, level with the penalty area. Early cross, Fabio on the turn, and Fabio puts the ball into the net. And 40 seconds into decision day, New York Rebels strike first at Nissan Stadium. Nashville SC nil, New York Rebels won. They came here knowing a result would take them into the postseason. They've made the perfect start with a dramatic goal inside the first minute from the man who scored against Nashville in June and scores again today with his seventh of the season. That goal scored by Fabio. I can't believe it's not better. Nashville's defense (laughs) in the first minute. It's like the second time I've used that pun in the last week. And I used it on air when he scored against Nashville in the first meeting up in New Jersey. So I'll, I'll stop that now. Uh, credit to Tony Husband and ESPN 94.9 for that call. It was the opener, and it was the earliest opener. Yes, you have some Do we remember when Fabio got hit in the face with a goose on a roller coaster? It's <laughs> right. like just bizarre, bizarre <laughs> story of like news of the weird C-list celebrity stuff. I had what, totally what a time. About what that. a time. All right, Man. sorry. Back back to the soccer. Go he ahead. is full. Of, no, Fabio is full of legends. He's full of stories. On that note, do you remember the the random bad reality show when we were in um, in college? Probably uh, mm-hmm. Joe Millionaire was the name yeah, of the yeah, show. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah. And so they had all these normal guys, right? Just regular dudes, like like not exactly glamorous. Looking. They were Joe's. They were Joe's, not Millionaire. Right. Exactly. And and the woman that was like it was like a Bachelorette style deal, right? She was told they were all. Like multi-millionaires loaded and she was going to choose one to ostensibly you know either date get engaged to marry whatever none of these guys actually had any money they were just like auto repair guys or you know financial you know people whatever like didn't didn't really matter they, they weren't loaded and then they brought in a boat full of like good looking guys halfway through the season and so she had to like it was money versus looks um the ultimate revelation in the show ended up actually being her revealing something um, at the very end, she chose her her person and ended up being one of the like poor, not good looking guys. They reveal that he's not actually rich, and she says, "I have a revelation of my own. I dated Fabio." <laughs> and you would have thought she said, "Like I don't know, I you know, I'm a murderer." Like you would have thought that it was some major. Like the the reaction was just, "You what?" And you're just now telling me this. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it didn't work out. And I think that was the reason. Like, it was it was bizarre. Fabio out here ruining Joe Millionaire like he uh, ruined Decision Day for Nashville SC. Oh, there's the segue. There's the pro move to get us <laughs> back off of chaos and back onto our topic. Fabio, not the one we just discussed for five unnecessary minutes, scored the <laughs> earliest goal ever against Nashville Soccer Club. 43 seconds in, he gets New York Red Bulls on the board. You just heard that highlight. Mukhtar equalized in the 37th minute, his 16th goal of the season to go with his 12 assists. As Tim, Red Bulls really started on the front foot, um, which they really held for the majority of the match up in New Jersey as well, which was Nashville's first loss of the year. This time, though, Nashville figured out the press and was the better side in the second half. And a couple of late misses kept them from winning the match and rising to second in the East. Yeah, it was a situation where they dominated possession for much of the game, and especially once they weathered that early, probably 20 or so minute storm. And I was a little bit surprised how happy both Gary Smith and Hani Mukhtar seemed in the postgame press conference because they had those opportunities that slipped out of their grasp. They could have finished second in the East and didn't get it. Yet these guys were like, not ecstatic, but they were very satisfied with what they managed to get done on the day. Um, you know, you saw the, the chances, uh, the Mukhtar double chance we'll discuss in a little bit too. Um, Ake Loba not being able to poke one under keeper Carlos Coronel from a feed from John Dracadis. Mm. In the end, it was a big miss from Fabio. And, and to be fair, not the one who gets hit in the face with a goose, but Fabio, the New York Red Bull. That shot didn't is, miss. Yeah, he's, he's going to miss he's going to miss some some chances himself here and there. And, um, you know, a post from Omir Fernandez as well. You see those mm-hmm. two chances for Red Bulls and you say, OK, maybe if, if one of those was going to go in, it might have been one of the ones that was going to go against us. And you take that. 
Yeah, this Nashville season has been characterized by conceding first and then coming back and equalizing and sometimes winning, which it's 15 times they've conceded first, 12 results they've taken from those Mm -hmm. games, really an amazing record. But also, at home, in some of those dying moments, conceding late to cost themselves points. And to their credit, they did not do that. Some other notes from, from the match, just the second time that Nashville's been outshot at home this season. Yeah, and some of that is is just the style of play. Red Bulls are going to take a ton of shots because they want to get into the offensive zone, get rid of the ball, put it on the keeper, and hope something happens. And if it doesn't, then they're just going to set up that press and try and do the same thing all over again. Um, nonetheless, thanks to Fabio's two good chances, obviously he hit the first one. Red Bulls nearly doubled up Nashville and XG as well, 2.05 to 1.1, according to American Soccer Analysis. So um, the Red Bulls did have maybe the advantage, not just in terms of having more shots, but they had more dangerous opportunities too. So um, while the possession stats may have tilted in Nashville's favor, I think the XG doesn't lie that Red Bulls might have been the slightly more uh, chance chance strong team in this game do you remember uh what by the chance what hani mukhtar's xg was on his goal from that crazy angle free kick it was definitely less than 0.1 i had i would wow. have to go back and look that's what i would have assumed too like super yeah. low tight tight angle i thought surely he was going to try to find walker in the box no thank you he he said he told <laughs> dan lovitz i'm going yeah. for goal uh, brushed up against the head of fabio but it was looked like headed on target either way when I asked him, when I asked him, I definitely thought he was going to say, oh, no, I was always going for gold. But he's like, no, Dan and I had a little conversation about it. I was like, oh, OK, there we go. Fair enough. I, mean, I think he's earned the right, certainly, to to take those opportunities. Um, Nashville's fourth lowest pass accuracy of the season, the lowest came at Red Bulls. That's what you expect against a team that's going to press. Mm-hmm. Red Bulls uh, pride themselves on forcing choppy matches, and this one certainly was. But uh, Nashville was more effective this time despite conceding first. And when we talked to Dax McCarty in our bonus episode last week, he said the key to beating Red Bulls, score first, take them out of their game just a little bit. Nashville didn't do that, but still was able to be a little bit more effective uh, getting the ball forward, especially in the second half. Yeah, in Red Bull Arena, there was a sense that the Alex Meal and, and yes, even Dax, um, because Dax had not been on our podcast before, the previous game that's probably why but both of them oh, seemed yeah. a little bit like they kind of had their emotions on their sleeves a little too much um will really wanted to prove himself i think the red bull fans mixed relationship with him was one that he wanted to to mm-hmm. prove that that he was yeah. deserving of the positivity a little bit um this time nashville knew how to handle the red bulls a little bit better last time was the first time they played against that style anywhere much less in red bull arena where, where they're traditionally so good the simple matter is that red bulls are going to prevent all but the most technical teams in this league from hitting their tip passing numbers the key is to succeed with what you do get and and again it's worth noting that Nashville had like a 60 40 possession advantage in the end so even if they weren't stringing passes together like they usually do they were managing to hold on to the ball true or false in your opinion if CJ Sapong plays all 90 minutes Nashville finds the winner and my qualifier there is CJ was never going to play all 90 but (laughs) but if if you can just extrapolate a fresh CJ Sapong for 90 minutes um, his presence in the box does one of those chances maybe late go in yeah, I don't think so. Uh, Akeboba and, and Jandrakadis both came on and looked quite good, and, and that's not always the case for Jandr, especially, mm-hmm. unfortunately. Um, Sapong had already foregone what could have been a great chance off of that Mukhtar double miss that I mentioned in the opener. Uh, the second time, it, the ball just kind of scooted past him as he thought he was in an offside position, even though he wasn't, and he, he was kind of frustrated about it. So it's a situation where it was probably time for him to come out of the lineup so that he can be fresh and be ready to, to be pouncing upon that chance next time. Certainly there's some butterfly effect in here. Maybe if CJ stays on the pitch, there's a, a slight gravitational change in the Earth's atmosphere and, and another goal goes in. But I don't think his coming off felt like much of a causal factor in not finding that winning goal. That's fair. I think there was one chance in particular I was thinking of where if you had a player even just with a little more height, you know, Lobo mm-hmm. went up and the ball yeah, yeah, off when, the top of yeah, his head. Yeah, scooted off his head, yeah. Yeah, what I like out of Lobo, though, is he continues to get in behind a little bit more. You can mm-hmm. see the runs being a lot more aggressive. I think early in the year he was he was posting up in midfield and then trying to bring the ball forward with the technical skill. And yeah, and he's, it, still, he's still showing the technical oh, skill. Yeah. He's just so much more comfortable in how the space is going to exist or not exist in MLS, I think. Signs for optimism, I think, with him. Mm-hmm. Um, um, certainly Nashville will be happy with its body of work this season. It far surpassed any regular season objectives the club set, both in terms of points, goals. But looking a little bit uh, more narrowly at the last few weeks and what Nashville's expectations were late in the year, uh, do you think their form right now is great, good, underwhelming, poor? 
Um, it's fine. It's what you want going into the playoffs because you feel hungry that you haven't performed as well as you can, but you haven't been playing poorly either. Mm-hmm. It's kind of right in a little bit of a sweet spot. Now, of course, if they come out and flop against Orlando, I'll definitely pretend like I never said any of this stuff and, and, and come out with something different. But I do think it is kind of right where you want it to be, where um, you feel like you're playing okay, but you're not getting the results that you want. And you come out with that hunger to, to, to write what might feel like a wrong season-ending gold nuggets for you then. We got three of them for you. Number one, Nashville has tied the Major League Soccer record for most ties in a season and the MLS record for fewest losses in a year. It looked like maybe New England would also tie that MLS record with just four losses. They lost to Miami uh, on decision day. But Nashville, it's almost a, a shot straight out of the first scene of, of Ted Lasso, right? Where they were about to tie the record for consecutive ties, except no dogs were harmed in the making of this season uh, for Nashville SC. Yeah. I'm the draws record is, is fine. It's not necessarily a negative. I know a lot of fans probably aren't, aren't jazzed about it, but when you couple it with the fact that NSC rarely lost this year, almost never lost tied a record for not losing. Um, it suddenly looks impressive. You get a point instead of, instead of zero points and you prevent the opponent from getting their two points with the win. I mean, you don't finish third in the conference without doing something right. And despite the fact that Nashville didn't win as many games as they probably would have liked to, they finished third in the conference and that means something. Well, yeah, and you look at going to Orlando, to D.C., to NYC, earlier in the year to Columbus when Columbus was not so out of form, um, to an RSL team that was tough. So many of these road trips end in draws, and I think all the ones I just referenced besides Orlando were scoreless draws. Yeah, I think those are positive. So one thing you could spin as a little more negative was that Nashville had more draws than wins at home, but even that you'd have to really stretch hard to be too negative about it because the boys in gold seventh team in MLS history to end the season unbeaten at home. But Gary did speak about the desire to turn maybe just a couple of those draws into wins and maybe that being the next step of this club's evolution. I certainly don't think we should um, dismiss the fact that we've had a wonderful season. There can always be a little bit of dejection when you, of course, want to win a home game and finish on that ultra positive note but it's been a wonderful season the guys have been incredibly consistent and you know the simple analogy as you look at the the league table would be how do we turn some of those draws into victories New England have done it to a wonderful degree what what are the the slight differences and the changes that we can make to turn a a record-breaking season for us into something that can be even better yeah, I mean, I think if you sat down with Gary at the end of last season and he told you to your face, oh, yeah, we're only going to take a small step back defensively, but we're going to have a kick-ass offense next year, you probably would have thought he was crazy. You would have thought he was, <laughs> he was talking, you know, out, out, he was on some sort of substance that was making him say weird things. But that's what happened. So I think you have to take him at his word when he says, um, depend, you know, I think depending on how they manage the personnel this offseason, there's a really good chance that they follow through on what was not quite a promise, but definitely an aspiration that he mentioned. This is a, a manager and this is a general manager in a front office that understand what it takes to reach their aspirations. Mm-hmm. There's a roadmap that they can follow and it's not always going to be perfect. What is, especially in this yeah. wonderfully crazy league. But, but I think when you compare Nashville to a Miami, a Cincinnati and Austin, mm-hmm. or even more established clubs, a Houston dynamo, you know, clubs that, that have a plan that don't know how to deliver on that plan, or some in some cases don't even have a plan, I think we can be encouraged and the track record would suggest improvement in year three. Yeah, and I think you can look at even some of the most successful clubs that are expansion teams in recent years, LAFC, Atlanta. Yeah. Nashville might not have quite that same upside where they're going to go set a supporter shield points record, um, you know, where they're going to just burn through everybody in the playoffs like Atlanta did when they won it. But you're probably also not going to see the lows. Uh, mm-hmm. LAFC is not in the playoffs this year. And if you had said any, that to anybody before the season, much like the Gary Smith, thing, you, would have, you would have thought that person was crazy to say that. So it is something where there, I think there's going to be a higher floor for this Nashville C team. And I think that the goal is going to be to raise the ceiling as well. Yeah. So Atlanta and, and LAFC did the equivalent of, of drinking three Red Bulls not New York Red Bulls, um, you know, in the morning. and, some, and They're drinking some Rossin Ball Sports. That's beyond me. Uh, Rossin Ball Sport Leipzig is what the German Red Bull there team has to be called okay. because they're not allowed to have a brand name in their team. My, my German and or, uh, yeah, Austrian dialect German is, is struggling there. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. 
um, yes, they're they're drinking Ross and Ball Sports um, <laughs> in the morning, and then and then the caffeine wears off and they're sputtering. I think you know Nashville SC has filled its morning with with substantive calories, if you will. That, mm-hmm. that it's now going to burn through a little slower and a little more uh, strategically. Yeah, I think definitely there's a cohesive plan for this club that that is not about impressing a market right mm-hmm. away, which they still did, but it's about long-term success. And Nashville does finish third in the East, just a, a, a trend for you that, that really bears little significance to this year, but is interesting. A number three seed has made the MLS Cup final three times since 2015 and won the Cup twice, including last year's Columbus team. Wait, maybe maybe I spoke too soon on this blaze of glory thing that <laughs> that, that Atlanta <laughs> went through in their third year. But um, I, I've said it on the pod before, but that Columbus team was was mediocre plus for much of the regular season, but got by with a ton of luck in terms of overconverting their XG, preventing opponents from converting up to their XG. And then they got really hot and were a legitimately awesome team in, in the playoffs and rode that to the MLS Cup title. Nashville has actually been right around its expectations luck-wise. There was a time over the course of the year where they were actually quite unlucky compared to their expected goals. But if you want to look at the crew from last year and say, how did they do it? I think riding a hot hand is one way that you can do it. And, and Nashville has an MVP candidate. If they want to try and find a hot hand, I think hot, Hani Mukhtar is exactly the sort of guy that you would look at and say, maybe this is a guy who can do it. All right, it's time for the moment we've been waiting for for a while now, a bracket breakdown as we know which seven teams remain in the East. And we're not going to really hit much on the West today, if at all, uh, but it was a, maybe an even crazier decision day out that way. So we so got a couple out. weeks. <laughs> yeah, we got tons of time. Exactly. Uh, international break to really break it all down. So we'll stick to the East today. New England, no surprise, wins. Not only wins Supporter Shield and wins the East, but sets the points record by a couple of points uh, in MLS history. They will play the winner of NYCFC and Atlanta United. Philadelphia Union, the two-seed, will host the Red Bulls team that Nashville just drew. And then, as we've mentioned, the boys in gold host Orlando. Some juicy matchups there, Tim. What stands out to you? Yeah, I really like that Atlanta-NYC game. It should be pretty exciting. Atlanta was poor for a lot of the year. Obviously, they made a coaching change midseason. You don't do that if you're like out there destroying people. But they finished really strong to make the playoff field, which it, it looked like they didn't really have a shot at at midseason. And th- the opposite for NYC. They were elite for much of the year, but slumped hard to nearly miss out on getting a home playoff match at all. So these are two high-quality teams that might be heading in opposite directions. But if you're New York City FC, you still say, we have golden boot winner Tati Castellanos, and we have, you know, same, similar to Nashville, we have that sort of hot hand potential in one of our players. And I think they know that they can cut, maybe get back to what they were really good at early in the year in terms of defense, in terms of being a little bit more solid with their possession game and, and going out and, and taking down a team like Atlanta. It's two good teams going against each other. And what a big goal it was uh, for NYC to equalize against mm-hmm. Philly because it means they host Atlanta in that match instead of having to travel down to Mercedes-Benz Stadium. Philadelphia and New York Red Bulls is, is probably the least sexy of the three matchups, uh, but I think that almost brings its own appeal. I mean, these are two teams that will bruise you in midfield. New York Red Bulls leads the league in pressures. I hadn't looked back in the stats. I'm guessing they've done that every year, <laughs> almost of their existence. Certainly in attacking half pressures, they're up there, yeah. Oh my gosh, yeah, that press. And, and you know, Philadelphia wants to clog midfield too with that diamond and just absolutely, you know, bruise you and kick you and um, in a good way. Uh, so two approaches that are fairly similar, uh, two shapes that have sometimes been similar this year. Whoever wins will, will come into a match hopefully against Nashville SC with some bruises. Um, three meetings between these two teams, five total goals, two draws. Um, here's a fun one for you. In these three matchups, there have been eight total meetings between these teams. So six of those eight meetings have been draws. No team scored more than two goals in any of those games against their first-round opponents, and that only happened once, and it was Nashville and Orlando's 2-2 draw at Nissan. So when we say the margins are extremely tight in the Eastern Conference, apart maybe from New England, I'll tell you what, they really are, Tim. Yeah, absolutely, and I know a lot of people are talking about, oh, if Nashville had been in the Western Conference, their points total would have only finished fourth or fifth, whatever it is, but the point is, New England was out there hoovering up points for people, and there were like three Cincinnati-caliber teams and the three Texas teams in the West. So if you're from number two, to number uh, 13 in the East, it was a battle all year. And, mm-hmm. and the teams that finished two to seven really kind of exemplify that. Yeah. And, and certainly while there was a huge gap in points between New England and the field, it's a Revs team that's beatable as well. And uh, mm-hmm. Nashville drew them twice. You, you draw Revs, you take it to penalties, and you're flipping coins. Curious 
from your perspective, Tim, who the biggest surprise in the East was this year and maybe the biggest disappointment as well? Yeah, I think the biggest surprise for me is is a team that didn't even make the playoff field, and that's Montreal. Um, all the adversity that they faced early in the year, starting with an awful new rebrand. Right. <laughs> um, the head coach leaving right at the beginning of the year, Thierry Henry, wanted to get back to England to be with his family who could not travel um, to Canada or the U.S. because of the pandemic. And then they played their first five home games quote unquote in Florida. Um, they did go two, one and two in those games. So that's pretty good. But with all of that stuff going on at the beginning of the year, they still felt like they were a kick here and there away from not only flipping their fortunes to end up in the playoff field as they could have done with a win over Orlando on decision day, but, but being a top team in this conference and, you know, in the first year of Wilfred Nancy's presumably ongoing um, conservatorship of the team, I don't believe he's been officially extended until next year. I don't recall for sure, he should but, be, though. Yeah, but he absolutely should be. So um, if he continues building upon what he's done here, um, kind of reclamation projects for guys like Georgie Mihailovic, for example, and, um, I really like what what's building there uh, north of the border. I'll go with the disappointment and say Columbus, and I, I guess there's not really a, a terribly close second. Uh, mm-hmm. Star power, certainly they had. Uh, Jossie's artists with Lucas Elrayon. Uh, veteran presence with awful Mensa, Darlington Nagby. And talented wings in, in Pedro Santos. And to, to um, Kevin Molino's defense, they brought him in to really complement that attack, and he, he wasn't healthy. Bradley mm-hmm. Wright Phillips also on that team. A, a good, incisive attacker, veteran. Proven coaching talent in Caleb Porter, although it's how, I think the he's Porter never, curse. The Porter never curse. made the playoffs consecutive years, right? Yeah, yeah, Crazy. that's correct. Crazy. We, we could study why that might be. The best <laughs> midfielder in the league, though, in Darlington Nagby. This team, mm-hmm. so loaded. And every player I just mentioned, uh, with the exception of Molino and, I believe, Wright Phillips, played 20-plus matches. But Columbus lost 8 of 9 in late summer. They never recovered. And, and even, Tim, after they won three straight to close the season, it wasn't enough. Um, really a disappointing year for the MLS Cup holders. If I had to give a runner-up, I think Orlando would qualify in that category. I mean, they they won 2-0 over Montreal on decision day, but if they had lost, they would have missed out on the playoffs. Um, they've had a, a surprisingly disappointing year despite the stockpile of talent they've got, but they can change all that with a couple of kicks against Nashville. Columbus, their story's written this year. Yeah, I mean, Columbus is my easy choice here. Um, they were the MLS Cup champions last year, and as I previously mentioned, there was some luck involved in that, but they added proven talent in, in Bradley Wright Phillips, as you mentioned. Of course, BWP is, is not exactly a spring chicken, so he was not able to play maybe as much as you would have hoped. Um, they had more injury issues than you might have guessed. So there are some reasons that it happened, but at the same time, the the degree to which they fell off is pretty disappointing. Although I would like to, to quickly jump in and say it's something about Orlando as well, okay. which is... I think that they aren't going to be too despondent about where they end up in the table because they did it by managing Nani's minutes. They did it by managing Daryl DK's minutes at times this year that cost them points that caught that could have cost them a trip to the playoffs, but at this stage they're in. And I think they feel much better about where they are physically going into the playoffs than they have in a very long time. I think that's reasonable. And, you know, Pedro Galese is out with Peru a lot, international mm-hmm. duty, hard to mm-hmm. lose your keeper that many times. Nashville, he cannot relate to that. Especially in the back of his nation's stature. <laughs> oh gosh. Right. Oh man. <laughs> Shouts, um, shouts to him. Sorry, Mason. That was, that was mean spirited. <laughs> Rodrigo Schlegel just put him in goal, right? After his PK exploits. Yeah, I mean, he's he's only okay as a center back, and he's awesome uh, with a one one <laughs> shootout sample size. He's an awesome keeper. Yeah, you so. love to talk about statistical noise and small sample sizes. I'm not going to get you <laughs> let you get away with that. Um, but then you know they bring in Alexander Pato, and he's supposed mm-hmm. to be maybe even DK's replacement if he ends up getting sold to Barnsley or somewhere else, which he didn't. And um, DK's not been a disappointment. He's come on strong here late, especially against Nashville. Mm-hmm. Orlando has pa- Pato's coming back from from a nearly season long injury too, so which is good for him. And yeah. we always want want Nashville to play teams that are you know fully fit because we don't want guys to be hurt. But it is poor timing for Nashville that he's, yeah. that he's coming back in. Uh, all right, speaking of of talisman, this one has absolutely unquestionably been a talisman instead of just um, you know a hopeful talisman that ended up not panning out like Pato. Well, let's embrace consensus here, or maybe debate. Final answer, as we've talked about this throughout the, the second half of the year, we talked about it last week, but we have a full body of work to analyze now. The votes had to be cast as of recording day, Monday. Is Hani Mukhtar your MLS MVP? And I'll start. And I'll preface it with, you know, I'm a radio analyst for Nashville Soccer Club. 
the team's success is important to me, to the role I play. I strive to also be as objective and impartial as I can. I want to to enhance my credibility on air on both fronts, here and on those broadcasts, by being very truthful about what I think and how I feel. I will be very happy for Hani Mukhtar if he wins MVP. I think Nashville SC is criminally underrated among certain national media circles. All of that said, if I'm putting on my impartial media member hat, I think I'm still going with Carlos Heel. And it's tight. It is close. And it comes down ultimately to the definition of what an MVP is and should be. Uh, if you're looking at the you know the production, it's scoring in particular, it's Mukhtar, right? I mean, he's first in Major League Soccer in goals plus assists. If he's somehow not a, a finalist, it's criminal. I, I think that's a He'll problem. He'll be a finalist. He's fine there. We, we were very serious in that discussion a few weeks ago, but he'll be a finalist. Um, impact to his team. If that's how you define MVP, impact to one's team, I think it's also Hani Mukhtar. By that definition, if you look at, at percentage of total goal contributions, it's Hani. I take it to a couple other things. I'm not also a strict team success guy. I'm not best player on the best team guy. I think that's a shallow way to do it. The best team is probably the best team because they have multiple great players and not because there's one guy taking them there. I look at chance creation as maybe the most important metric in MVP consideration. I look at those key passes, and I see that Carlos Heel has 134 of them. And for context, that's 38 more than second in the league. It is more than double Hani Mukhtar's number. And Hani's contributed in other ways, right? He scored 16 goals. That's, that's one of the best in Major League Soccer. But I combine that with not New England's position in the table, but New England's attack. So a more direct mm-hmm. contribution, right? A, a, what is he doing to contribute to the attack? Well, he's dominating Major League Soccer in creating chances for a team that led Major League Soccer in scoring. And that led New England to top the table. I think my definition of MVP is the most important contributor to standout success. It's not necessarily about winning the conference. It's about how they won. New England won through its attack. Heel was head and shoulders uh, above everyone else in terms of creating chances to fuel that attack. Um, so Carlos Hill would be my vote. I will applaud anybody, though, Tim, who votes for Mukhtar, and I will be thrilled for him and the club if he receives that recognition. And I am relatively bitter that Carlos Hill was treated as a foregone conclusion up yeah. as, as many as two or three months ago for this award when there was so much soccer left to be played. So if you will applaud anyone who voted for Mukhtar, I will be willing to accept my applause. Right, I'm, there you go. I'm, a, I'm a voter in this, and I, I voted for Mukhtar. Um, we talked about it a week ago, and and some of the reasons that we talked about then, I think, still apply. Um, Adam Buxa and Gustavo Bo put up elite numbers, even when he was not the assist man. They generated their numbers the way they generated their numbers, whether that was with Tejan Buchanan serving them or or somebody else. What Heal was able to do in terms of creation was largely a product of Carlos Heal's individual ability. It wasn't exclusively that. I, I would I think you could say more for Mukhtar that when he was um, contributing a key pass, it was because Hani Mukhtar was the player there and you couldn't plug in somebody else mm-hmm. and have the same outcome, which is, I think, different than what Carlos Heal was able to do for his team, as talented as this guy is. Um, and then I think that they didn't drop off when he missed a handful of games. It's not necessarily a knock against him, but it does kind of indicate that the straw that stirs the drink is the team. It's not necessarily the the best individual on the team. And he might not even have been the best individual on this team. Goalkeeper Matt Turner was incredible all year. Um, So a little bit of hyperbole, but he might not necessarily have been the Revs' most important player, much less the league's most important player, most valuable player, I guess, would be the, the nomenclature here. So that makes it hard for me to call him the league MVP when you look at how crucial Hani was to a team that um, people didn't have very many expectations for. I picked New England to finish second to uh, Columbus Crew um, and, <laughs> in preseason. We'll gloss and, over that. And so the fact that that they finished where they were expected and Heal was their best player as expected is a little bit different than Nashville mm-hmm. far exceeding expectations and Mukhtar leading them there. I, I think all of that is reasonable. I, I guess I don't have much heat to respond with because again i'd be so happy for mukhtar and i think your logic is very sound and uh, what i will say is this tim this vote's gonna be close yeah i i don't think that the foregone conclusion narrative has stuck as mukhtar has continued to produce he'll miss some time due to injury when he came mm-hmm. back new england was still clicking but 
but people saw what you what you indicated, right? There yeah. was a little bit of data there that he was not the only driver of that success. So I would not be shocked if Hani Mukhtar ended up with this award. Yeah, I, th- I think it's still going to be heel when you have uh, the league's PR arm. Um, all due respect <laughs> to, to the extra time That's guys, good. but they've been stumping for heel um, kind of regardless of what's happened in the time, you know, since they kind of initially fought that. And at the time, it was an entirely reasonable thing to believe that nobody else was going to ma- be able to mount a comeback for this award. So that at that time, it was fair. There was a, maybe too much sticking to the guns for a little while while other guys were making a run. And it might not necessarily have been Hani. Um, you know, there are other guys, Tati Castellanos, the golden boot winner, as I previously mentioned. I'm um, a guy who, you know, has has led a, an NYCFC offense that for a while was just as good as New England's, if not better tailed off really hard but there are reasons to 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 maybe say other guys but the fact that heel was treated as a foregone conclusion kind of is a self-fulfilling prophecy i think yeah yeah when we say national mls media too that's who we usually mean is that extra time crew who does such a (laughs) thorough job covering the league but do set the agenda more than either they admit or they realize uh so Mm -hmm. so we could almost compare it because we have a ut guy and a michigan guy here to 1997 peyton manning versus charles (laughs) woodson (laughs) <laughs> ESPN wanted to make things interesting because uh, Peyton going into the year was a bit of a foregone conclusion. It's kind of a reverse situation. They pumped Woodson, they pumped Woodson, and all of a sudden, Woodson won the Heisman. I will go to my grave saying that was undeserved, and you may feel differently as a Michigan guy. And I, I will say Philip Fulmer should not have voted Michigan number four in his final poll just to make a point because it, it led to a split national championship for my beloved Wolverines that year. Um, shout out to Nebraska. I don't know if they've won a single game since. <laughs> they really haven't. I three and seven this year, and uh, Scott is getting a frosty reception. Uh, anyway, let's let's go outside in, and we have one topic for outside in today, and it's a special tribute to a special person who's been at the heart of Nashville SC's history. And if you are thinking back at your favorite goal that Nashville SC has scored, John Freeman was there. And if it was in USL, John Freeman was the voice of that. And he was on radio in the past couple of years as well. Uh, John is leaving us after four years. He's headed to the University of Virginia, to his alma mater, um, to become the voice of the Cavaliers. Couldn't be more excited for John. Uh, we thought we would treat you just for a moment to a montage of some of the more memorable goal calls from John, courtesy of ESPN 94.9, uh, of Nashville's MLS tenure, because he has been the voice of so many moments for this club. The free kick set angle to the right of the target, about 40 yards away from the goal that Guzan is protecting. Cross comes in from Mukhtar. It's loose right on top, and it is! It's Walker Zimmerman! The made goal! Made in gold! Zimmerman, instant club immortality! And it is Bedlam on the banks of the Cumberland! Corner kick coming in from Johnston, headed across the frame of goal, it turned in! ever major league signing his first ever major league goal in nashville sc leads one nil Mukhtar steps forward and delivers it's hooked in and headed in delirium it's yonder cadiz staggering all in every last ounce of gold for our city believe in this club believe in nashville sc three to two in the 94th minutes extraordinary trialing his defender leal onto his right foot the cross is a good one right in front headed down and he scores there's the impact nashville finds its way through England having a hard time getting the ball out of their own defensive end after a booming kick from Joe Willis. It's taken over. It's Wheel who fires and scores! A gift wrap goal! And Alex Wheel makes undefeated New England pay! And CJ Sapong cutting in. Sapong squares it in front. Lacrosse the shot block. Rebound. Scores! Honey Mukhtar! Tie game! Incredible! 
incredible! In less than five minutes, Nashville has reduced the loudest stadium this world has seen in a year down to silence. Love it with room to roam. Love it along the 18. Shot. Montreal a chance to break and melt away some time and Kyoto just dribbling backwards dribbled into a double team and Jack Mayer takes it back Mayer deals right side for Leal his cross off a defender rebounds back out to Leal to Mayer back post cross score Abu Dunlady try to turn the lights out on this team and they will fight in the dark. It's Mukhtar who steps forward. Mukhtar! A goal from the heavens! Astonishing! Beyond the gates of reality, a 16th minute hat trick from Honey Mukhtar. Sapong returns to Leal, scores! goal to gawk at. This is a player, Mukhtar, who is in form and playing confident soccer. 16 combined goals and assists. Nashville goes over the top to Mukhtar inside the penalty area. Mukhtar! He scores! It's the breakthrough! Of course it's Hani Mukhtar! Curled in by Mukhtar. Zimmerman header goal! Nashville ignites abroad! A road goal that ripples through a foreign land! Nashville goes over the top, attack A Loba. Bursting in to the penalty area. Loba turns, lays it off for Sapong! Give them six! He scores! Tennesseans are flying into the playoffs. Six to three. Boys in gold lead. 20 seconds for a final last word to Nashville SC's faithful. Just thank you. Uh, the fans have been wonderful, and I've grown as a person and a broadcaster around this club, and they've been so tolerant in every step of the way. You know, it wasn't always good when I went on air, uh, and they were just so supportive and encouraging as everybody in this room was. So, that's all you can ask for as a broadcaster, and I'm forever grateful for it. So, Tim, I'd love to, to take a few minutes just to talk, because we both have, have close ties to, to John. Uh, I went to a USL tryout before Nashville had ever kicked off in USL play. And I, you know, I've been in TV for, uh, for a while. I got out of that. I'd been out of it for several years, and I was kind of finding my way back into some local broadcasting here in Nashville. I was doing high school football, Belmont soccer, and uh, ran into this guy. I was like, who's this dude watching this tryout? And it turns out it was going to be the club's TV broadcaster, John Freeman. And he was going just to kind of introduce himself a little bit to some of the guys with the club. And we were thinking, man, I'd love to have a gig doing that one of these days. Like, I wonder if he's any good. I wonder if that's somebody that, you know, maybe he won't stick. He stuck. And I'm glad he did. He <laughs> took the TV job. I uh, was able to slide into radio a few months later, Mother's Day of, of that first year of USL against Louisville City. And quickly became colleagues with John and and close friends with him. Uh, the the TV and radio crews work very closely together, especially in USL. John and I, because we had the same role, right? I was I was mm -hmm. radio play by play. He was TV, and so we would would obsess over finding the right ways to capture every moment. We prepare together. We try to one up each other, sending random useless factoids that might never make air about the second string keeper for Bethlehem Steel and his connection to. You know, whatever at Nashville, you know, quickly a, a, a colleague became a close friend. And when he moved to the radio booth and I moved over to the color analyst side and MLS, I was happy to assume that role because I knew I'd be working in a booth with John. We uh, have talked probably nearly every day of the last four years, uh, have just a running text chain about the club and about our broadcasts and um, minutia around MLS. We've challenged each other. We, we've worked really, really closely to try to give the listeners the best possible product. 
Um, there's nobody more passionate about doing that than John. So what you guys heard on TV and on the radio were, were the results, right? You heard the poetic you know, or, or the prose, I guess, <laughs> of, of those <laughs> moments. What you didn't see um, was the preparation that went into that. And um, I can tell you that as, as diligent and as passionate as he was about telling this club's story, he was more passionate about the people he worked with Sounds like an obituary right now. <laughs> right. He, well, yeah. Please <laughs> be upon him. Yeah. Right. And, and so you, Virginia's lucky because they're getting somebody who deeply cares about people and, and not just about the product. You know, one last story I'll tell, and then I'll toss it over to you for your your thoughts. Uh, end of last season, uh, the last regular season was our last match calling a game. We stepped aside for the uh, the TV crew to move to radio for the playoffs. And John had a, had a thank you note for each person that he handed out as we left with a, a gift card to Five Points Pizza. And it was a small gesture, right? But it's something that sticks with you uh, because mm-hmm. he was very good at giving, is very good. Again, he's not dead. At giving very <laughs> specific praise. No, he's just bad. He's, he's not dead. He's just bad at this now. <laughs> right. Second he left, he's bad at giving very specific praise. Yeah, he was good at it. Now it's just, yeah, he's in Virginia. You know, I don't know. Um, so, you know, that he, he was always looking for what would serve other people. He would never let the engineer leave the booth after him. He would help pack up all the cords and headsets. I can't tell you how many times I rushed off to go, you know, try to hold the baby overnight or, you know, bring dinner home to the wife. And, you know, he he would stick. He would he would help put up stuff and make sure everybody was covered before he left that booth every time. Um, and I'm extremely excited to, to see him take his dream job. Uh, we will have him on at some point once life settles down a bit for him uh, to recap some of his favorite moments. Uh, but Tim, uh, yeah, I'll toss it over to you. Just wanted to to give that moment of, of praise for a guy that we're going to miss a lot. It's going to be a lot different covering the club without him. Yeah, and everything that you said um, applies from my end as well. So that's it. No, just kidding. Um, the, <laughs> yeah. one, the one thing that, that you didn't mention there is John was always incredibly gracious and incredibly grateful when I came up with a stat that he didn't come up with, which was way more rare than you might have guessed because that's something I very much pride myself on. But this dude was an insane work ethic sort of guy for, for Nashville Soccer Club, and he will continue to be the same for Virginia football and basketball and, and whatever non-revenue sports he ends up calling for them as well. So um, obviously we're really excited for him to, to have his dream job. Um, it's something that uh, obviously he could not pass up as much as we know he had a passion for what he has done for Nashville SC as well. Um, and then the one last thing is you would not have guessed um, in the world of Nashville soccer media that he would have been the guy putting together the pickup game um, at Fair Park <laughs> over, over the course of this summer. Yep. And even less than that, you would not have guessed that he was going to come out and kick everybody's ass at soccer. So so shout out to him for being probably the best player there that day. I'm pretty sure that that's why he arranged the pickup. Game. <laughs> yeah, he, he was sandbagging us all along. Yeah, as humble as he is, he wanted to show off somewhere. Actually, uh, so he went to UVA soccer camp back in the day and uh, Bruce Arena and Tony Miola taught and I think Claudia Arena. Claudia, Claudia is what I'm thinking yeah. of. And uh, yeah, they taught him everything he knew and well, at least worked in one setting in our in our pickup games. <laughs> so awesome guy. Wish him the absolute best. And again, we look forward to bringing him on. Um, I've already told him we're having you on for a discussion here soon. And he said he'd love to bring our podcast numbers down. So uh, he's <laughs> going to come on and uh, yeah, actually one of our best rated podcast episodes when we had him had him on. So take that for what it's worth. Thanks again, John. Best of luck. We'll move to the mailbag now. John Mueller, speaking of John's, talking about New York Red Bulls. Uh, he says the game turned when Dax was subbed on, but his time as an every game player may sadly be winding down. How important is finding his heir to the long-term success of this team? And do you think this player is an MLS or abroad? Uh, that player might currently be in college or uh, hmm. in USL somewhere or or on a bench somewhere um, or yet to have been discovered because I think there's time here. And, and you know, going back to our our interview with Dax, we were fortunate to speak with him uh, this past week in our bonus episode. He says, you know, at the moment that he looks at the film and says, oh, man, I can't I can't stand watching myself, he'll bow out. That moment's not here yet. Uh, Dax continues to contribute. Dax wants to continue playing. So this is not an immediate need is what I'm getting at. So there's there's <laughs> time here. Um, Nashville is trying right now to cultivate a, a good number six slash potentially number eight in Brian Anunga. Bought him from Charleston Battery. and We've seen how he's developed. Uh, whether or not he is that answer, I think, Tim, the answer is probably domestic. Um, mm-hmm. There are plenty of good holding mids available in this league. Uh, and of course you need to be able to, to allocate money in a salary capped league uh, and, and with very few DPs 
to players in attacking roles. They're more expensive. In a world of scarce resources, the holding mid-spot has been a place you typically don't want to spend a whole lot of money. So, Tim, recognizing the long lead time until this move will probably need to be made, and as you look around Major League Soccer, is there a player who would be a potentially strong candidate for you? Yeah, I mean, as you mentioned, it is a position group that you can find internally. And um, Mike Jacobs talked about it in our, our very first guest ep- uh, episode with a guest that there are positions that you have to go internationally for and there are positions that you can find within the league. And I think holding midfielder is one that you can find within the league for sure. Um, so with that in mind, if you're looking maybe slightly shorter term than Nashville needs right now, but um, Latif Blessing is a guy who LAFC seems mm. to be pretty much done with. And, and with a new regime possibly coming in and there's rumors that Bob Bradley will not be returning to LAFC and he's been a Bob guy. He could be on the move. You never know. And this is a guy who former SKC player, you have the Mike Jacobs connection to Peter Vermees. They share a lot of, uh, of information about these guys. And obviously Mike worked for SKC um, during the time when some of these guys played there. And then um, some on the margin, some similar things. He's a Ghanaian guy. Nashville mm-hmm. SC likes to build with guys from the same nationality because they kind of understand each other a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the sort of thing that when they look to build, this is kind of like the FIFA ultimate team from the video game. You look for guys that have connections because that helps them play together as a, as a more cohesive whole than maybe the sum of their parts. And, and Blessing seems like a guy that fits that bill. He would be a blessing, not so much in disguise. Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I, I could see that. He's a yeah. tremendous two-way player. He's incisive going forward. He's smart going back. He, in, yeah. in many ways, mirrors what Dax has given this league for so long. Yeah, and I, I think if, you know, keeping in, in the SKC uh, kind of theme here, another one, if, if you can get off-field issues squared away, is Sporting Kansas City's Felipe Hernandez. He's a Nashville native. He could maybe benefit from a change of scenery. He's currently... Um, suspended through the end of this season for uh, for gambling on MLS games, but you know, getting him back home, getting him back around his family, a change of scenery, getting into a, a program where he would be a key player could be exactly what he needs to kind of meet his potential as an MLS player. And Felipe Hernandez already plays a role in NSC history. What is it? Uh, Am I going to stop you? Nashville native to play against Nashville SC scored a goal in, a goal. in the SKC game. Is that is that it? Is it, it? it was that simple. Okay. It was that okay. simple. Yeah, come on. <laughs> I'm not John Freeman here. I'm not you. Give <laughs> me too much credit. <laughs> yep. In the five one win, uh, Daniel Rios had a brace, and uh, Nashville SC won five one over Swope Park Rangers, and uh, the keeper for SK or Swope in that game. I assume it was. Um... Oh gosh, Adrian uh, Zendejas. Zendejas, there we go. Yeah. Yep. Uh, I'm channeling my inner Clay Trainum. That felt good. <laughs> Ryan Francescan said the lineup felt weak against Red Bulls. Didn't the potential for a second home playoff game call for a stronger team? I mean, I understand wanting that. You want to go out and play with your best 11 players every game. Ask fans of the U.S. men's national team who could not bury <laughs> Greg Berhalter enough for thinking that there needs to be a little bit of rotation, but. I think it felt like a weaker lineup, but NSC still came away with a draw and had the chances to find a winner. So resting Dave Romney, who had Achilles soreness, um, working Dax back in as he returns from injury, as as somebody who is older than him, I understand it just doesn't happen like it used to where you can snap your fingers and go out and play 90 minutes. Yeah. Um, I'd rather work towards the playoffs and hope for the win, if you get the draw especially, than go all out and risk losing Dave Romney, risk losing Dax McCarty for the playoffs, and, and submarine your chances to come away with some silverware because they were not winning silverware against New York Red Bulls on Sunday afternoon. Yeah, poor one out for Dave, by the way, in that 59-game streak. 5,310 consecutive minutes played in gold. Joe Willis uh, still yeah, I was gonna say, perfect. Both gloves for Joe Willis, who re- remains uh, an Iron Man thus far. That's it. He's played every minute for this club. Um, yeah, I'd hated to see Romney out, but understand the logic behind that. Alex Mule coming in, you know, people might consider him a bit more of a squad player based on the rotation in, of late, but he's mm-hmm. the perfect guy to play against the Red Bulls because of the mileage covered, which, uh, by the way, Tom Bogert tweeted out the stat of, of distance covered in Major League Soccer, and Mule won that category across the league by like yeah, it's like it's like a kilometer. Yeah, so it was like it was like four four tenths almost. Yeah, per yeah, ninety, like, which is just yeah. I mean, just ridiculous, but not surprising to anybody who sees him play. He's a good choice there. You mentioned Dax returning from injury. I don't I don't see that as a B side. I think that I see that as a side with some necessary rotation and some tactical decisions that I wouldn't call it a weaker lineup. I'd call it I mean maybe necessarily so because of those injuries, but that's about it. 
Yeah, and, and Gary was asked about that after the game by our good friend Steve Cavendish, and he said, "Look, this is this was what I needed to do in terms of you know remaining with a back three despite having um, no Romney available. This is what I needed to do. I played um, the central midfielders as Randall Leal and Alex Muil, who are not you know holding central midfielders, so it was a little bit more in the attacking um, mm-hmm. department." a little bit more punch than you might've expected. And of course you have the top three attackers on the field together. So it was something that, um, you know, uh, with the necessary kind of omissions from the starting lineup, I think it was about as good as you can see. Logan Elliott asks whether Walker Zimmerman is a contender to repeat as defender of the year. He says, honestly, his heroics this year may arguably have been better than last year. He's adjusted to different center back partners. He's so important in snuffing out aerial aerial attacks and he's made some outstanding key blocks. What do you say? Do you think he repeats that feat? Yeah, honestly, I thought last year's award for Zimmerman was like a team achievement that they rewarded the best player on the best defensive team. Um, this year, he's actually been a bit more consistent individually. He's he's kind of picked and chosen his spots to take the risks that he was maybe a little too loose with a year ago. Uh-huh. But the defense as a whole hasn't been quite as good. So it's not going to kind of, uh, if he wins it, it's not going to come through the same method of being the best defensive player on the best defensive team because Nashville is no longer the latter. So split the difference. You know, if he wins, it's it's more because of a lack of realistic options who are better than him. And, and I didn't know who to vote for when I was voting for this category. I did not vote for Walker. I went with NYCFC's James Sand kind of for the similar reasons that Walker ended up winning it last year, which is a very good defense and, and the best or most notable player. He might not have been necessarily NYCFC's best defender, but um, you know, he played a variety of roles, played, you know, holding midfielder at times, played right back the past few games. The versatility for Sands for a very good NYCFC defense was what uh, ended up winning my vote. Fair enough. Any other awards candidates for Nashville? Gary, coach of the year, Mike, executive of the year, anything else? Yeah, Gary's my number three choice for coach of the year. I went with Robin Frazier. Um, what he's done with Colorado Rapids this year has been just absolutely incredible. Obviously, Bruce Arena is a guy who's going to end up winning this this award. Um, what he what he did with it, yes, a very talented uh, New England Revolution team. Um, is something that is is uh, a testament both to the talent that he had, but also what he was able to get out of them. You don't set records by having the best talent. Just ask LAFC. Um, you set records by having the best talent and putting together the best program. And, and Bruce did that. He's going to win this award. Um, I think, you know, Frazier deserves recognition for doing it on, you know, just an incredible shoestring budget. Um, there wasn't media voting for exec of the year, unless I accidentally left it blank. <laughs> I might have. <laughs> but I, I think Jacobs is a pretty strong candidate putting together the roster that he did to achieve what it did with a relatively limited spend compared to some of the, the top spending clubs in this league. But of course, when you look at who is spending the most money, it's teams like Cincinnati and LA Galaxy who are mm-hmm. um, historically futile and out of the playoffs, uh, respectively. So it's something that maybe that uh, direct correlation between success and money isn't there. But Mike certainly is one of the people who's making that uh, correlation look a little dimmer. I think he's due for a lifetime achievement award at some point for for what he's (laughs) done here. Um, And if Gary's not a finalist for coach of the year, I think it's going to be thoroughly disappointing. I I can't fault anybody for going with Arena or or Frazier, certainly uh, with what they've done. Arena, not not just for winning Supporter Shield, but for building what he built there, and and also being uh, being sporting director there. I, mm-hmm. I think he has just been so. I mean, look at the roster. Maybe he's executive of the year. I mean, <laughs> can you be executive and coach of the year? It's a good good question. <laughs> and if you're not one of those, then give it to Gary or Mike because uh, they they're absolutely deserving of recognition. And I think mm-hmm. there's been some begrudging and some. Uh, a few genuine praise, yeah. yeah, but but I think not not enough, not enough for what they have done. Uh, Nolan, great friend of the program, by the way, Nolan, who uh, just recently made the move uh, to work in the soccer industry out in Tulsa. Uh, worked closely with John and I, though, on uh, Nashville C broadcast back in the day. He asked whether in-game PKs actually provide an advantage over just practicing PKs in training. Ultimately, you're 1v1 either way. Not much changes. He said with three draws between NSC and Orlando City this season, PKs kind of seem inevitable. Fair point. Does it matter that NSC is just two for three in PKs and Orlando is five for eight? We will note that the two for three, uh, the one miss was against Orlando, and it was Hani Mukhtar then poking the ball right back into the net on the rebound off of Pedro Galese. Uh, those stats are, are noise this year. I think, you know, generally speaking, pretty small sample size there. What might mean more 
is that Orlando has playoff PK experience, courtesy of Rodrigo Schlegel and uh, his performance as a defender coming in for Pedro Galese, who who came off this the is line. This the Schlegel cast, I think. It really is. What's up with that, man? <laughs> and so, so it's it's even a rule now that you can't you can you can receive a yellow for coming off the line. You can't receive. A second yellow. Second yellow, yeah. Right. So it wouldn't have even happened this year. But but center back Rodrigo Schlegel had to come in last minute, throw on the kit, and make a save against NYCFC to advance. Uh, so don't need to get into all that to say that it, that Orlando has experience in those those settings. That's invaluable. Um, are in-game PKs better experience than training PKs? Sure, but, but only maybe for two or three guys on the team who are actually taking those. Orlando's had four kick takers. Um, a couple of them have just taken one, though. Nani, not so great. Daryl DK, three for three. Uh, just for fun, this is cool, Tim. So Joe Willis has saved five of 27 PKs in his career. He's conceded 11 of the last 12 for the last three seasons. This is the fun part. Pedro Galese, Orlando's keeper, has the exact same numbers in his career. 22 of 27 conceded, not counting playoff PKs. Um, he did save Mukhtar's effort in September, as we mentioned. So that counts, but then Nani tapped in the rebound. Yeah, I think when you look at it, what you gain from in-game play uh, experience with this kind of, I guess, uh, it's it's like an edge case of things that you're going to experience. Although I guess if you look at Nashville setting a record for draws, maybe it won't be an edge case in terms of expectations this year. But what what you do see is that there isn't enough information. However many times you do it, the sample sizes are, are generally too low. Unless you have a guy like Nick Romando, the, the PK saving wizard who, who revealed his secrets after his retirement, <laughs> it doesn't necessarily mean a whole lot. It, it is worth noting, as, as you alluded to there, that Nani has been Orlando's go-to number one, and he's kind of a famously poor penalty kick taker. He has just a 7 of 12 career success rate in MLS, including um, postseason penalties, of, of which he has taken one. He's only 12 of 20 in his career at all stops. So this is a guy who um, does something that most people do do at, at a 78% rate, who's doing it um, you know, just 60% of the time. So if he is drawn into, into uh, action for penalties this year, if it gets to that situation a couple Tuesdays from now, we will see if, if he's able to change the narrative a little bit or maybe if Nashville's able to seize on that. And of course, we have a couple of weeks to get into a full preview of Nashville and Orlando, but we couldn't miss the chance to seize on some early minutia. So thank you, Nolan, for reaching out. <laughs> this tremendous question and hope you're doing well out uh, out in Oklahoma. Uh, Sean White uh, with last question. Best goal celebration this year? Yeah, so most players had consistent goal celebrations. So I don't yeah. want to shout any of them out, but I do want to shout out. Anibal Godoy's son, um, for those of you who follow the players on Instagram, you saw probably a few weeks ago, he, Anibal was just shouting from across the room at his son, okay, okay, I say El Sapong, and his, and his son would do the bow, he'd say, I say El Mukhtar, he'd do the salute, and it was, it was uh, both cute and a good memory from his son to remember each and every player's uh, signature celebration. My brother Will's in this media market as well, he's 12 years younger than me, and uh he, I'll tell on him, when he was a little kid, he used to imitate players' batting stances based on, <laughs> on uh, MLB The Show or whatever the video game was. So I, I can't beat that. That's awesome. And getting the next generation involved is just fantastic. I'm just going to go with, with your answer. It's good. Uh, final whistle. The results are in. The Champions League places have been decided. The Club and Country Football League has concluded its 2021 season. I finished fifth. Tim and oblivious 14th. Yeah, I must say we've. I think we've brought it up the past couple podcasts, and despite that, I still forgot to set my lineup in the final few weekends. So uh, I think 14th as an absentee manager uh, is is pretty impressive. I, I would say I'm I'm the Jose Mourinho maybe, <laughs> or although Jose is kind of an over manager, but uh, the kind of a borderline competency here was uh, we succeeded despite it. I will say. This is like when I competed against friends growing up in like, you know, backyard games. I kept score and they didn't. And the only time I would win is when they didn't know it was a competition. So you're, <laughs> you're bringing back some childhood deep seated stuff here for me. Um, I won. I won. Oh, we were still doing that. Awesome. <laughs> Thanks, Tim. Um, moving on to, to content recommendations. And we're not going to congratulate the winners, by the way, because first and second were Columbus and Atlanta fans. So I think we're just trying to get in and, uh, and mix things up. So uh, maybe they're avid readers of yours. So you feel free to go back and give them a shout if you can find the app still. 
Content recommendations. Uh, I'll go to World Cup qualifying, and this time we'll go to Europe. UEFA has several key matches as group play is is ending. Uh, Portugal and Serbia is going to decide, uh, likely decide first place in that group. Spain and Sweden, Italy, Switzerland, uh, France and Finland is a one versus three, but could be a one versus two by the time they play. If Finland can get a result against Bosnia, there's some more minutia. Uh, Netherlands and Norway, another one, two, and Russia, Croatia. So lots of climactic matches. In UEFA, and I remember first place advances automatically to the World Cup. Second place in a group goes to a playoff, and some of those playoffs are going to be juicy too. So uh, I think, you know, certainly don't shy away from watching Cotton Ball. The Asian qualifiers, we're all going to be watching CONCACAF and U.S.-Mexico. Uh, but but I think those matches in particular are going to be a lot of fun in Europe. Yeah, I'm going to kind of go the opposite direction. You're going to the highest levels of play in the world, and I'm going to go a, a level below MLS, both in terms of uh, maybe the pathway and in terms of, of quality of play. And go to the NCAA. Oh, that's um, way better. That's great. Yeah, yeah. Conference tournaments for men are, are underway. Um, shout out to my beloved Michigan Wolverines who knocked off Wisconsin over the weekend. And the national tournament for women has already been drawn and is, is about to begin as well. So um, looking specifically at, at the women, you're going to see a lot of future NWSL stars. You might not see women's national team stars. They're starting to bypass college completely, but mm-hmm. similar on the men's side, you aren't going to see, you aren't going to see the next, um, you know, Brendan Aronson playing in the NCAA tournament, but you could see the next Daryl DK. You could see the next Chris Wondolowski. And I think the fact that you see these guys who, who find so many different pathways to major league soccer and for a guy like DK, likely a European future after a couple of years um, at UVA um, shout out once again to our, our good friend, John Freeman, <laughs> but you know, guys finding these different pathways to professional careers and, and, I, there's always just something that's that's spoken to me about college athletics. I think most of our listeners know that's what I do professionally. So it's something that I think is really cool. And I'm really looking forward to watching as many of these games as possible. A couple of notes uh, locally there. The Lipscomb women have drawn the University of Tennessee in the first round of the NCAA tournament. The Belmont men are in the final of the SOCON as the men are a week behind the women. So those conference tournaments are still going on. Um, Belmont men are Mike Costa's incredible work to, to rebuild a, a program there. And they beat top-seeded UNC Green to advance to the SOCON final. So stay tuned there. We may have some good local updates for you as, as Tim, you are particularly an avid supporter of local soccer. I've done some broadcast work for Belmont and Lipscomb and I have so much respect for those programs and the people behind them. Well, thanks for listening to a marathon episode of Club and Country. I have a lot of fun with you today. Thanks to 440 Sports for giving us the opportunity to talk all season long about what has been a special season for Nashville SC. The story still being written in the final chapter could very well be the most exciting. Moon Taxi provided the music ESPN 94.9 with a heavy lifting today. All those John Freeman moments and a couple of highlights from Nashville and Red Bulls. Be sure to get on Apple Podcasts and rate this podcast. Give us a review. Let people know what you think of the show. Let us know what you think of the show. What can we do better? Tell us that directly and then leave your happy comments for the uh, the review. Subscribe, tell a friend, and follow us each on Twitter. Tim, anything else before we head into the international break? That is it for me. All right, guys. We'll talk to you soon.